We will be looking at Acts chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you may want to turn there. I'm going to be looking at verses that aren't included in your bulletin. And I'd like to begin reading Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. This is the end of Peter's sermon in this passage. And he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a noble sign, notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we come before you this morning, we have this text, and there is so much in it, there is no way that we can cover it in the time that we have. But we pray that you would teach us, that you would open our eyes to see 
from this text who you truly are. And in so seeing, be made bold. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My parents decided to move from Washington State to Illinois. Yes, I know. Between my sophomore and my junior year in high school, it was, for me, a disaster. Imagine all my friends, my whole context, all that building up of, you know, reputation that I had tried to do in high school, and it was just gone. I was miserable, and I made sure that my parents knew it. And I did as much as I could to make them miserable because it was their fault that we were moving. But interestingly enough, as I look back on that event, that event, the one that was a disaster in my mind, every good thing in my life came as a result of that event. I came to faith in Christ later on at college. At college, I met this beautiful young lady who became my wife. At college, I made friends who are still, 50 years later, still my friends. And at college, the whole direction of my life was set as a teacher, even as a pastor. But it came from disaster. I know you have stories like that in your own life. This is what God does with us. He puts us in situations where we say, there is no way that any good could come from this. And then God says, watch me. And he brings good that we could never have thought of. This is one of those situations that we read about in Acts chapter 4. Here are God's people. Peter and John have just, by the grace and the power of God, they've healed this, this man through the name of Jesus. He has stood up. He has gone into the temple leaping and praising God. And the leaders have decided they've got to shut them up somehow. But in this passage, and it's fascinating, in this passage, there are three places where the word, the word boldness is used. Now it's a disaster. The whole country is against them. The leadership of the country is against them. Everything, they've told them, shut up, don't talk. You're not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And yet boldness, three times. Why? 
Well, before I go there, I want to just make an observation first. And that observation is this, that God's absolute sovereignty should govern our perspective on life. It's a very simple one. God's absolute sovereignty should govern our perspective on life. Because you see, the triune God is all over this passage. If you're like me, you read it, it's an interesting story, it's history, and you don't really look for where God is in a lot of it, but he's there, he's all over. He's especially in this marvelous prayer. And so I want to look at the God that they pray to in this prayer and just talk a little bit about who this God is and what does he do. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about boldness a minute. So they, they hear from Peter and John about the threats that have been made against them. Now remember, these are the leaders who probably three months before, maybe four, have crucified Jesus. All right? So these threats are not idle threats. They've done it once, they'll do it again. But they go back to the church and they tell them, here is what we've been told. The church, rather than falling on their faces in abject terror, fall on their faces before God and they pray. There's a lesson right there. But what they say is this, sovereign Lord. How many times have you seen that particular phrase in scripture? I'll tell you, not very many. It's used only three times in the New Testament. It's not the usual word for Lord. It's usually kurios, which just means master. This is a whole different word. It's the word despota. Do you hear it? Despota. We use it. It's the word that we get despot from. Somebody who is absolutely in control. Sovereign Lord. You see, right at the beginning, they set the tone of this prayer. And they're saying, okay, these guys think they're in charge. But we know who's really in charge. Sovereign Lord. And then they begin, what? To ask for stuff? That's how I pray. Sovereign Lord, I really need this and this. It's not what they do. I love this. They give us several characteristics, several actions of God because they're building up to their request. They're having in prayer to remind themselves of who God is first before they ask. So the first thing they do and the first thing they talk about is this, God created. In other words, he rules the entire creation. This despot that they're praying to is the one who has created everything that is. They say, Lord, 
in a sense, it's all yours. Everything is yours. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They all belong to you. You made them out of nothing. Nothing is too hard for you. And then they say, you spoke. You created, you spoke. Now, I don't have time. That's a sermon all by itself. But the very fact that God speaks is grace. God spoke. And then they quote this great passage from Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Read the rest of the psalm this afternoon. It's wonderful because at one point it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs at them. All their plans, all their designs. God speaks. And the indication here is that he rules over the actions of men because they go right on and they apply this as a prophecy to the crucifixion of Christ. Do you see it? Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. They are all gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed king. That's sort of what anointed means. The king, the Messiah, the priest. They're against him. Everyone was raged and ranged against him. They were determined to stop God's plan of redemption. But their rage and their plots were in vain. Why? Because of number three. God created. God spoke. God predestined. I'm not doing this just because it's a Presbyterian church. It's in the text, right? That's where it is. They were all there gathered to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God predestined. He rules over the plans of men. The text that we read from the Old Testament in Proverbs says he, he turns the heart of the king like a river of water wherever he wants it to go. He's in charge. He says this is what's going to happen and it happens. Cyrus of Persia, the monarch of the world power of the day, God says he's my shepherd He's going to do what I tell him to do. And he does. Here's the pivotal argument of this prayer. Whoever is opposed to God's 
anointed. And whatever they might do, they cannot succeed. This is because their plans are actually directed by God himself. His hand was directly engaged in accomplishing his will through the opposition of these groups. His plan had predestined that this would take place. He used the opposition of sinful men and their sin, I know, that raises all kinds of questions in your mind. That's good. He used them to fulfill his redemptive purpose. But I want you to notice this, because now I'm back to my illustration. That when God turns the hearts of rulers, it is often confusing to his people because it doesn't appear beneficial to us. We look at it in the immediate context and we think, oh, wait a minute, this is not going to make for my comfort. This is not going to make for my peace and my prosperity. This is going to create chaos and difficulty. So this can't be God's will, right? Oh, come on. You're looking at me like I'm the only one who thinks that way. Don't be so pious. You think that. It can't be God's will. It's not good. It hurts. And yet God does this. He does this all the time. Let me just say this. There was no one standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified, who was thinking, oh, this is going to work out really well. Right? And yet, we're told, they prayed, this all happened according to your will. It was your predestined plan. These are the same people who, when it happened, were torn out of the frame. because they didn't understand. Most of the time, we don't know what God is doing. We don't understand what God is doing, and at many times, it feels uncomfortable, to say the least. It's usually only after the fact that we are able to look back and say, that event, those circumstances, were the blessing of God. I just didn't see it. I didn't see it at the time. So, where are you today? I'm not done yet, but I'm, I, I'm making an application already. Where are you today? What's going on in your life? You know, as we sit here with masks on and socially distanced and wondering what God is doing. Well, you know, the Old Testament gives us a bunch of advice about that. When God sent his people into exile, another disaster that God used to bring good. But he says to them, you know, when I send you into exile, don't try to get back. Stay there, build houses, plant crops, marry your children off, 
Seek the good of the places that I have put you and pray for them. That's a word to us. Seek the good of wherever you are and pray. Pray for the leaders. I, I could give you, you know, my, I'd love to have a lecture on history here and just do some church history for you, but I've got 10 minutes or so, so I can't. But just let your mind run through church history and realize God does this all the time. One example very dear to my heart, the English Civil War, which resulted ultimately, the Puritans won it, but it resulted ultimately in the destruction of the Puritan movement and it caused them to flee England en masse. Where did they go? Here. It was a disaster that produced very much good for the kingdom of Jesus Christ and for us. God creates, God speaks, God predestines. And then in the prayer, God hears because they come back to him and they say, they say this, is, this is amazing to me. Now, Lord, that's the regular word, Lord. That's not despota. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Look, listen, hear what's going on. In other words, this absolutely sovereign God who controls the events of nations, who steers the kings of the, the hearts of the kings, who determines what happens in all of these areas, this same God listens to you when you pray. He knows your circumstances. He knows exactly what's going on in your life right now. Not only does he know, he cares. He's concerned. His compassion is engaged. And so they pray, Lord, look, listen to their threats. We know who you are. You see us in our circumstances. I'm sure, by the way, that there was more to this prayer than were given. I'm sure that they were praying for their leaders, as we ought to. They were asking for God to do miraculous things in the lives of those people, those men who served on the Sanhedrin. You know, their prayers were answered, and at least one place we know they were answered because Saul of Tarsus became a believer. But now, we need to look at what they ask for. And they say, Lord, look upon their threats, their threats and grant to your servants 
a change of circumstances so that we can live a comfortable and prosperous life. Is that what it says? <laughs> we are so American. Lord, I don't like this. This is really hard. I don't like the way this turned out. So I want you to change it. Just change it. They didn't ask that. It's stunning. They are under threat of execution, persecution. And they don't ask for God to change the circumstances. They ask God to make them worse. Do you see it? And grant to your servants to continue to speak. They said, the leader said, stop speaking. And they said, give us the grace to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Second observation. I only have two. So I'm getting, I'm getting close to the end here. The second observation is, is very simple too. Confidence in God's sovereignty produces boldness. There are three cases of boldness here and now I have to start galloping because I'm almost out of time. I'm not mentioning buffaloes, by the way. So that's a ask to me later about that. Three cases of boldness. One, Peter and John. This man is healed by the power of God. They're dragged before the Sanhedrin. These are the same men who had condemned Jesus to death, not more than four months prior. These same men who hold their lives in their hands, they hold their livelihoods, they hold their families in their hands, and Peter and John stand and proclaim boldly that Jesus is the only name whereby we must be saved. And it's like the Sanhedrin all go, it says in the text, they're astounded. They're not used to being talked to like this. Who else had talked to them like this? The king. And it says, verse 13, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The presence of the sovereign king was palpable in that courtroom. Jesus was there in the person of his apostles. And there was nothing the Sanhedrin could do except bluster. They spoke with boldness. The second boldness is the prayer itself. Because they pray boldly and they ask for boldness. 
Here they are in the very presence of Almighty God, the Sovereign Lord, and they ask for one thing. Boldness to speak. Boldness to do what Christ had told them to do. You will be my witnesses. By the way, they also asked that God would that he would confirm their message with healing, with signs, with miracles. I know it makes us uncomfortable, but it's in the word. And these things are still happening in the world today. That was part of their bold prayer, not just for boldness. They asked God to do what only God could do and prove that their message was true by what only he could do. So there's a bold response by John and Peter. There's a bold prayer by the church. And thirdly, there's a bold witness. But before we get there, I need to come back and add one to the list of what God does because God creates, God spoke, God predestined, God heard. But right here, God answers. God answers. He responds to the bold prayers of his people. He's not a disinterested listener. He's not remote. He's not uncaring. This sovereign Lord who rules over all creation, this sovereign Lord listens to his people when they pray and he answers. The whole place is shaken. It's like Pentecost all over again. They are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And instead of speaking in other tongues, they speak with boldness, the word of God. Now, so what? Well, can I tell you this? And you know this, but I'm just gonna say this. God has not changed. We're not looking at a different God in the book of Acts than we look at other places in scripture or even today in our own lives. He is still the sovereign Lord over all creation. And we need to stop placing limits in our own mind and in our prayers about what, can, what God can do and not do. We need to evaluate our circumstances based upon the reality and in the light of God's absolute sovereignty. Hear me now. Matters are not out of control. Medically, socially, politically, Matters are not 
out of control. God knows exactly what he's doing. And he is accomplishing his purposes. Do you believe that? If you're a Presbyterian, you better believe that. If you believe the Bible, you better believe that. And the second point, again, and it's a very obvious application, but in a culture increasingly opposed to the gospel, we need boldness. We need to be bold. And if God is truly sovereign, why not? Why should we not be bold? We are the ones that God has sovereignly placed in this time and in this place. Not somebody else. He didn't put the Puritans here. He put us here. So we are the ones he intends to use to accomplish his purposes. Be bold. Speak the word of God with boldness. And may Christ be glorified through his church. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. We're blessed that you give us these indications, these histories of your working in the lives of your people. We pray, Father, that you would work in our lives in a similar way. Grant us boldness, sovereign Lord, to serve you in our day. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.